When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Brought to you by North Memorial Health, where customers are treated like family. That means a big smile when you walk in the door and making sure your visit is as pleasant as possible. Just like your family treats you, find your health family at northmemorial.com slash family. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. I'm going to say something, and I'm probably going to take a lot of heat for it, but I won't hear about it because I don't have a Twitter. Thank God you do. (laughs) But Adrian Peterson, to me, was the definition of why you shouldn't meet your heroes, ever. And and I'm a firm believer of that because after I met Adrian, I was so disappointed. That was Alex Boone talking about Adrian Peterson yesterday, which has lit the internet ablaze, and wow, my mentions have become... A fire, and oh, it does burn in the mentions of Twitter. Um, have you after turned Alex off Boone the notifications? That. I have not, um, but thank goodness I don't get them like directly to my phone like some people, where every time they get an app mention, it pops up on the phone, because yeah. I would have gone crazy with people giving their analysis of Alex Boone's career based on his experience with Adrian Peterson, which kind of baffles me, but that's the world we live in. If you don't like something that someone says about something you like, then you just yell at them as opposed to challenging what they say. But anyway, so we go from one former teammate of Adrian Peterson's to another. Hello, Sage. How are you? Mandy, it's Adrian Peterson week, it looks like. I know. know. Uh, And it's a short week at that. And he's questionable for the game. (laughs) Yes. uh, I'm sure he'll play because he always does. Well, uh, Sage, you were... Can can we just dive right into this whole thing? Because I was a teammate, too. Give me your reaction. We haven't talked since Monday, and, and I saw some of that yesterday. And uh, and I'll say this. In my time with Adrian, and I was with him for three training camps and about a season and a half, uh, including the 2009 season, Adrian, Adrian was an extreme one, and his locker was, it was like, it was weird. It, it was like Chris Cluey, Percy, me, Favre. There was a, an empty one, and then Adrian. I mean, that was quite the corner. Yeah, and Big Mac was over there, too, somewhere, I feel like. So uh, that, that, that was quite the corner uh, in the locker room. But Adrian, that, in, the, in that time, worked extremely hard. Uh, that, that was not, he, he was a guy who, uh, when, when he got the ball in his hands, it was full speed, and he'd finish, you know, sort of like the old school guys where they'd finish two seventy or 80 yards a lot of times. He worked hard. He worked pretty hard in the weight room for what I saw. And uh, there was really no issue uh, as far as, as you know, uh, for, for me, again, this for me. But, but, but what I was thinking when I heard that was, you know, everybody sees 
these NFL players, uh, you know, when you sort of bounce around like I did, at different parts of their career. Yes. And sometimes they're they're the best teammates, and sometimes they're probably not the best teammates, and sometimes they have personal things in their lives going on. Sometimes they you know, there's there's contract things that put people in grumpy moods because you know, like I, I imagine what people people probably think of Jalen Ramsey right now in Jacksonville. There's probably a lot of guys who don't like him. Like, dude, you were supposed to be one of our best place, uh, uh, players in our defense, and, you know, you basically faked injuries to get out of here. Uh, and But, you know, his new Rams teammates may absolutely love him because he's probably going to get a huge contract. So right. when you see people at different times in their career, everyone gets judged sort of for who they are at that moment and in that season, and, and you know, that's how Alex judges him. So, uh, you know, I'm sure there's times in my career people liked me and times where people didn't like me because of, you know, whatever. And and that's just the, sort of the way it goes. And, and he, he was, a, listen, he's one of the all-time great players, one of the all-time great Vikings, one of the greatest runners in NFL history. Uh, but he has also led a, a, I think it's fairly public, a fairly complex life. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of going on in his life that nobody knows about really but him. Uh, you know, coming from a background that was very different from mine, going through, you know, various suspensions for different things. And, uh, you know, with, with the uh, the thing with his son, the switching of his son, which I never had heard of before. Uh, I mean, the guy lives a, a very, very complex life. He had a child pass away, mm-hmm. you know, and all those things. So I, I imagine it could have been a roller coaster that it does not surprise me, I guess, that Alex Boone would say uh, he, he wasn't his favorite teammate. And I would also say this about 2016 versus when you were on the team, 2009, um, quite a different vibe of the season. I mean, just the tumultuous year from many different angles in 2016. The offensive line was falling apart. They were injured all the time. Uh, that year, they were struggling to protect Sam Bradford. Teddy Bridgewater had gone down and thrown that entire organization yep. for a loop. Uh, you know, they were forced to trade a first round pick and go into the season with Sean Hill as the starter and then another great journeyman. And then, uh, you know, Sam Bradford comes in and they get off to a five and zero start and everybody's right. Everybody's thinking that this is a Super Bowl team and wait till they get Adrian Peterson back. And, you know, I I don't think that um, Alex was the only one that had a great deal of disappointment that when they got Adrian back late in that season, that he didn't perform very well because he had probably pushed it really hard to come back early and then it wasn't working the way he had hoped it to work. And and so you can see how somebody who's been a great player for a really long time having to sit out, having to recover from an injury, that maybe they wouldn't be the easiest guy to be around, especially for someone who's new to the locker room. And, you know, when I looked at the mentions and see all these people that are insulting Alex Boone for saying that, you know, I, I guess our goal a lot of times on the show is to bring insight and share experiences. And you do this all the time. You tell yep. stories about playing with different players. And his experience was a lot different than yours, a lot different than Brandon Fusco's, who tweeted about, you know, Alex's comments and things like that. Yep. And, uh, you know, I just think it's an interesting well, there's, perspective. There's various loyalties and things, right? So, you know, I was lucky enough. I also played with Ricky Williams. And Ricky actually quit. Like, yes, right yes. before training camp, he said, did. I'm out. You know, and part of it was because he had tested positive again for smoking marijuana. Uh, and part of it was, you know, the, the previous seasons, uh, we had a very old offensive line. In one season, he ran for 1,835 yards or something like that. Incredible. And better than anything I saw Adrian Peterson do in my time with Adrian, I must say. The next season, he runs for 1,300-something yards, mm-hmm. but it was just three yards in the cloud of dust. And, and he was a three-down back, and they just beat the crap out of him. And the line was uh, was too old, well past their due guys, playing with too many injuries. They were sort of crafty, but just couldn't get it done anymore. And, and the next year, the year Ricky quit, 
we didn't invest in anything. We like drafted a guard in the seventh round. I mean, it was, uh, you know, he was going to get slaughtered that year and get another 400 carries. And so I think that's what, you know, and, and listen, a lot of guys in Miami love Ricky and a lot of guys, it, it, it they're still sick into their core that the guy quit on them because they were expecting, I mean, the coaching staff ended up getting fired that season when we didn't have them. So I'm sure there's some, some, some sore, uh, feelings there about that situation. And so, but, but, you know, I look at, I look back, I go, listen, everyone's going through different times. And Ricky yeah. obviously was going through a lot. And, uh, and, and, you know, it's the way it goes. I try not to get someone else's business, uh, you know, financially when somebody holds out, like it's, it is their business. And that's sort of the way it goes. And, and everyone sort of lives their own life. And, and that's the way it goes. But, uh, you know, it's, um, it's, it's unfortunate that Alex has that opinion, right? You'd like to think that every player that played with Adrian, who is coming back to uh, Minneapolis this weekend for their, on Thursday for their game, uh, is, is, you know, I said he's one of the great players in, in history. You, you'd like to think that everyone, you know, loved playing with him, but obviously Alex didn't. Well, I think you make all sorts of good points here. I mean, for one, the complex life of Adrian Peterson, and you could almost kind of look at the early Adrian versus the later Adrian as two entirely different stories. And so if you played with him earlier in his career when he's one of the biggest superstars in the NFL, he reaches uh, with Brett Favre and yourself on that team, an NFC championship, and he's a video game cover type of player and everything is kind of riding high. And then he ends up with the suspension. And I, I also think that Adrian Peterson attitude toward the team and how they handled that um, also changed, probably. And then so you combine that with some injuries toward the end of his career. Clearly falling off, if you look at any of the statistics, even though he led the league in rushing, it wasn't the same guy who was averaging six yards a carry or could gain 2,000 yards or anything else like that. And he was uh, having quite a, a lower success rate when he ran the ball later in his career, so I'm sure there was some frustration with that. And I, I think you could see where someone viewing him through that lens, and this goes for me as a reporter. Me as a reporter... I was dropped in the scene in 2016 myself when I moved here to take this job. And my impression of Adrian Peterson was very similar to Alex Boone's. It was, man, the things that are being said kind of whispered around here by players in the locker room and people with the team are not matching up with what I thought of Adrian Peterson as an outsider. So when he said all that stuff, I think it matched up to a lot of the viewpoints on Peterson for that particular season. But like you said, I mean, I'm sure at different times in someone like Terrell Owens's career, you would have people who would defend him to the death and other other times where people would say he wasn't a good teammate. Um, so the I mean, Tony Romo should defend Tony Romo should defend him. By the way, he cried at a press conference. <laughs> yes, <him>. yes. <laughs> you and, know, not a lot of not a lot of quarterbacks can say a receiver cried at a press and, conference. And that's what happens when anyone criticizes you on Twitter. I say that's my journeyman. That's my journeyman, man. That's my journeyman. You're talking. Well, we're going to have another journeyman on today, uh, Mr. Gus. Yes, Farad I can't wait today. for that. Um, so I and I also wanted to just. Um, wrap up the the conversation about AP and what Boone said with just also pointing out that, like you said, it actually seemed to hurt Alex Boone as a lover of football. I mean, the man worships Frank Gore. He worships Carson Palmer. Like, you should have heard him when Carson Palmer was on. He couldn't contain yeah. himself. I mean, he he's just like a football junkie. And to love football as much as the guy does and then go meet one of the great players in history and be disappointed, I'm sure it's not that different from a fan who meets a player in public and the guy won't sign your kid's football or something where there's... I mean, I, I don't think that you're immune to that feeling just because you're a hardcore football player and a, a, a grown-up to being disappointed by something. Well, 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 can I say this? My rookie year, I get drafted by Washington, 
and I show up, and it's the world of, you know, Dan Snyder's on the team for about two years, and it's at Marty Schottenheimer. All right, his son Brian Schottenheimer was my quarterback coach. You got Jeff George as the quarterback. Jeff and George. My first meeting I sat in with the whole team there, uh, I was in the, I was sort of sat in the back, and I was sitting in Daryl Green's seat. Mm. All right, Bruce Smith was on that team. <laughs> yes. Uh, you, you had uh, Stephen Davis as, as the running back, and, and, you know, Michael Westbrook as a wide receiver. You know, uh, you had a lot of, you know, LeVar Arrington, right? You had, it was a lot of superstars on that team, and, uh, I'm straight up honest, I'm disappointing a lot of those guys. <laughs> you know, I, I, there's a couple of those guys I, I didn't think were, were nice guys at all. Uh, and again, you know, some of those guys may be heroes from when I was growing up, uh, or from when I wasn't even in high school or even in college. Like, you know, you see them on the, the national game day type stuff and you see, and then you actually meet them. You're like, huh, he really wasn't, uh, what I thought he would be like. And there, there, listen, there's plenty of disappointment in life. Uh, if you're and in, in football, you're around people so much. Uh, that you do get to sort of really get to know a lot of a lot of guys, and and obviously again, Alex, uh, uh, Adrian was one, not one of his favorite players. Yeah, no, uh, clearly that didn't work out. And for a lot of players, a lot of players walked out of that building in 2016 with bitterness and frustration and disappointment. I mean, um, I know that at the end of that season, there were players who looked at Mike Zimmer for what he had said about uh, Anthony Barr and saying Barr had a tendency to coast, and they said. You know, how can you attack that guy with what he's dealing with, which I believe he had an injury that he was playing through that year. And there were some things that Zimmer said about uh, Shreve Floyd that people had bitter feelings about. So it happens all the time in NFL locker rooms. And I guess uh, people shouldn't be that stunned that someone would come in and have um, an experience that wasn't that great. But Alex is you a very straightforward guy, and he's going to say what it. People have to, to, to realize about an NFL locker room. And when I say an NFL locker room, a lot of times I, I include like the coaching staff. Mm-hmm. You've got other people just in the building. I mean, a, a franchise, and and as a as a player, of course, it, it's the, you're in the team, but you're you're also in the lunchroom, and you're also going to marketing events and around marketing people and and all these different things. Um, it is a very sort of cross uh, section of America. Yeah, there's people from everywhere. All right. I mean, obviously, I want for in many the Vikings. A lot of you know people working there from Minneapolis, but there's people from all over, scouting players all over the country, every religion, every background, every you know, people born in other countries, people sons of coaches, people grew up sort of rich in the burbs, and people grew up poor in the city and the rural areas. You see it all, and you know, there you're bound to run to people that you don't rub the right way with, just like you are on the street when you go into the store and you walk in and like, you know, people don't really rub you quite, quite, uh, quite the right way. And that, you know, that's just the way it goes. And I think when people are looking at a franchise, you sort of have to have that in mind is that, you know, not everybody gets along and, and it's, it's really the, the owner starts at the owner uh, and, it, and it works its way down, but everyone has to do their best to try to get along for the, for the good of the team. And, and, you know, that's what I think need about working for a, an, an NFL franchise is it's not just to like make money for it as a company. It's like, like this is our team. This is our, mm-hmm. uh, our our group trying to win this thing that we deem as important. And everybody, of course, wins when when the team wins. And so that, I think it makes you know working in the sports industry probably extra special for those people, whether it's from players to the you know the people making coffee and, and doing copies. Yeah. Well, I I appreciate your your insight and response to that, Sage, as someone who played with 
uh, Adrian, and many different teams and had second stints, in fact. Uh, and uh, speaking of which, we have another journeyman. It's going to be a journeyman festival here as Gus Farratt's going to come on, one of your favorite guys, one of my favorite guys. He comes on the station every once in a while. Also, two fellas that played for the Washington football franchise. So we're going to discuss this Thursday night's game. Want to get Gus's reaction to what Kirk Cousins has been doing, the offensive system. Let's dive into it. When we come back, Matthew Collar, former NFL quarterback Sage Rosenfels here on Purple Daily. North Memorial Health has over 400 care providers. That's right, more than 400 care providers and more than 6,000 team members that are dedicated to keeping you healthy. North Memorial Health is proud to partner with the Minnesota Vikings as they work to make Minnesota the healthiest in the league. They're more than a team at North Memorial Health. They're your family. At North Memorial Health, customers are treated like family. Your health family is more than a tagline. It's a commitment to delivering unmatched customer service. That means a big smile when you walk in the door. That means making sure your visit is as pleasant as possible. It means asking, what else can we do for you? North Memorial Health will treat you like family in a good way. The people at North Memorial Health will team up with you to help you achieve your best health. So step up your health care game today and find your health family at northmemorial.com slash family. Once again, that's northmemorial.com slash family. I can't make that throw if I don't get the edge and then have the time to set up. Um, so you need people you know, doing their job and, and, and then a system that's giving you a chance to, to, to do your job. And um, and when the run game works, it also helps because they have to honor that, you know, and so they have to chase after the run and get a chance to boot, boot out the back door. So all that comes together to uh, to help. But at the end of the day, I think just getting outside the pocket and throwing the football is kind of what you've done since first grade. So at that point, you're just operating off instincts and, and letting it come naturally. That was Minnesota Vikings quarterback Kirk Cousins there answering a question of mine about rolling to his left and making plays on the run. Uh, Jonathan working on getting Gus Farratt for us in a minute here. But uh, I wrote about this today, Sage. Tell me if this surprises you that Kirk Cousins is number one in the NFL in yards per attempt, according to Pro Football Focus, in rolling to his left and making plays down the field. Number one yards per attempt. Well, it's interesting you say that. When I played in this system, uh, Kubiak actually said to me one time, and, and I think he believes this, that you know, there's this general history when you think about quarterbacks rolling, that rolling to your right is easier. Uh, but you know, Kubiak would say, you know, when you roll to your left, you do a good job of getting your shoulders around, and you can actually get more juice on the ball, and hmm. you would work on it so much that actually, yeah, you actually can in some ways get more juice on the ball when you're rolling to your left, your left because you flip your shoulders so much that creates this whip when you throw the ball when you actually let the whole thing go because your whole body is wanting to bring it you know it's like it's like throwing off a mound and uh and it, it, i was a you know probably more accurate thrower to my left sometimes than uh to my right and so that that, that does not surprise me that uh, you know kirk is having success but it is interesting by the way that kirk is you know we're talking about you know i don't know one of the bottom five athlete quarterbacks in the nfl at starting yeah making play i mean that throw to Thielen was, was great fantastic. great throw i went back and watched that last night on the coach's tape that was a great throw uh and you know you, 
Peyton Manning could have, I don't know if could have really made that throw because he was not a guy who threw well on the run at all. But when you're in the system, you do so much of it in practice and, and learn how to, you know, sometimes pull up and, and let one go real deep or throw on the run or, uh, you know, different things and you become really good at it. But it, it does what, what I think what he was talking about. And I'm guessing that's a sort of a message from Stefanski is that they're starting to hit those details. And I could see some of those details were a little off early in the year. There was some tight end stuff they're doing on some of those bootlegs that wasn't to me what a, you know, Owen Daniels or, or Joel Dreesen would have done back in the day when I was playing with them. And I think, uh, you know, Brian Periani coached those guys up and it's gotten uh, those, you know, those little details are better there and some other positions probably with the O line. But, you know, you have to do it in real game, you know, situations and you have to a lot of times learn from those mistakes. And it seems like, uh, you know, this bootleg game is, you know, one of the best things Vikings do. And then just in general, the, all the, we've talked about all this play action stuff, but with Kirk Cousins, the highest yards per, uh, attempt or per completion or attempt on play action this year or something like that. Yeah, he's any, uh, top in and rating. NFL? Yep, top in rating on play action. Top rating on play action. He was one. I think Goff was two, and Aaron Rodgers was like four or something like that. Which is interesting because those guys all come from the same style of offense. Matt Lafleur, Sean McVay. Gary Kubiak and now Stefanski. It's a very similar style offense, and there's big yards to be had uh, in that play action and boot game. All right. Well, that was extremely detailed, but if you want more on it, uh, I wrote about Kirk Cousins rolling to his left, and I made a Derek Zoolander mention in the article at scorenorth.com. So now we are ready to bring in another uh, journeyman. We've got a journeyman party going on here, very similar to when we had uh, Brooks Bollinger. Gus Farratt now joining the show. What's going on, Gus? How are you? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Oh, we're doing great, man. I know Sage is extremely excited. He texted me that he has all sorts of questions, but I have to ask you, Gus, was Sage Rosenfels a good teammate? He was. Sage Sage was great because if you didn't know the answer, Sage always knew it. <laughs> and he just proved Whether on the radio. Whether it was right or wrong. Whether it was right or wrong, Sage knew <laughs> oh, that's, it. No, that's, that's a good addition. <laughs> <laughs> well, Gus, it's uh, it's great to hear. From, I, I was saying to Matt that you and I could probably talk for hours on end, and uh, it, it's great to have you on the show. And I'm going back, of course, looking at your your long career. And, uh, you know, we, we, we talk about journeyman quarterbacks on this show all the time. We actually do a segment on Wednesdays of which we bring up one of the, one of the many journeyman quarterbacks from the opposing team that the Vikings are about to play. Uh, and then Kyle and I each sort of do a deep dive or a Wikipedia style slash stat style deep dive into their careers. And, and your name obviously comes, comes up. A guy who bounced around. Like we have certain criteria. Usually it's four or more teams that you're on. And then there's like bonus points for second stint, uh, which you have. Yep. Uh, a second stint. And, but all the stories that come with it, you know, with different franchises, different owners, you know, coaches, all the players, uh, players you like, players you didn't like. And, and, uh, I'm sure you've got a million stories. Uh, that that uh, and and we have a lot of overlap, of course. Uh, you know, playing in Miami together under Nick Saban, under Jason Garrett as our quarterbacks coach, and Scott Linehan as our coordinator. We had Ricky Williams on that team, and and I'm sure we could talk about all sorts of things. So, uh, how is uh, post journeyman quarterback life treating you? Well, it's it's interesting because I did coach for a while. I coached high school, and then tried to go into the pros, and you know, there was no coach that really wanted a. 46-year-old ex-quarterback who played for 15 years to come in and just sit there and not say anything. Um, you know, they knew that if I came in there, I was going to speak my mind and speak my piece, and that probably was one of the reasons I played for seven teams because 
you know, if you know it and you see it, you got to say it. And, and, um, I was always like that. Uh, but, uh, you know, the transition has been great. Now I'm kind of finding more in my lane. I've, I've started a new podcast uh, called Huddle Up with Gus, where I've been doing some incredible interviews. I just interviewed Mike Silver, which is only oh. supposed to be like a 45 minute podcast, but it went like an hour and a half. So, you know, Silver very well, Sage, and, and, um, he's just a great, he was a great interview. So, um, I do a lot of that now, and it's been a lot of fun, and um, just trying to, you know, keep building my my brand a little bit. But the transition has been tough. Everything everybody goes through that, and uh, you know, it's it's been an interesting uh, road since I left the NFL. And and you are currently living in St. Louis. Is that is that correct? No, I live in Pittsburgh. I live in Pittsburgh. oh in Pittsburgh. Uh, my daughter. Yeah, my daughter graduated from St. Louis High School with Ezekiel and Foyer, and um, who Ezekiel plays for the Cowboys, and Foyer Lucon plays for the Falcons. And so when they all graduated and I was coaching there, I said, well, it's probably a good time to leave because I'm not really going to have anybody else coming through this high school in a bit. And, and they, they really they have had a few, but my daughter went back to Philadelphia to school, and, and so we moved back to Pittsburgh, my wife and I, and, and we've been here ever since. And so um, everybody's in college, and we've been empty nesters, and – and kind of enjoying that side of it. Well, now you have a chance to look back and you, know, you see some of the coaching that you had over the course of your career. You know, one of your stops was in Denver uh, in 2000, 2001. You had a chance to be a part of that, uh, you know, Gary Kubiak, Mike Shanahan, Alex Gig, uh, Gibbs uh, system early on. Uh, that zone scheme, that bootleg scheme. You know, the Vikings obviously have Kubiak as a consultant, sort of, you know, maybe sort of an assistant coordinator to, to a young Kevin Stefanski uh, as one of the coaches. They're running that system. Kirk Cousins has really gotten hot in the last three weeks. What are your memories of that zone scheme, uh, the play-action bootleg stuff? What are your best memories in, uh, of that? Well, your play-action and, and all that that you guys have been talking about with Kirk, it's not going to work unless – you got a great line and a good running back. And uh, you know, when we were in Denver uh, with, with Alex Gibbs there coaching that line, and, and it didn't matter who we plugged in there at running back, they were going to be good. And, uh, you know, from Mike Anderson to Terrell Davis to Orlando Gary, everybody in Denver seemed to, you know, really make it. And, uh, you know, that line just did such an outstanding job the way that, that um, Coach Gibbs coached it. Now in, in Minnesota, you have a lot of that Denver carryover with Coobs and Periani and, and um, uh, what's the line coach's name? I can't remember. Rick Dennison. Um, Rick Dennison, right. And, you know, they understand that, and I think you're seeing that with the explosion of uh, your running back, uh, Delvin, up there, and, uh, you know, what Kirk is doing with the play action and tight ends. I mean, the tight ends, to me, were always the key for that offense. Uh, whether they were blocking or getting out downfield or, or creating. I mean, you think about some of the great – tight ends that came out of Denver, uh, you know, and, and it just, the tight ends were always the key because if you didn't have one that couldn't block, then your run game wasn't going to be good. If you didn't want to have one that, you know, couldn't go out and, and, you know, run those corner routes and some of those posts and, and, uh, really be wise in the past game, then you weren't going to have success. And so I think you got a great mix in Minnesota right now with all of that. And, uh, I think it was really smart of, of uh, them to bring in Kubiak and Periani to really 
get to the nuts and bolts of, of why that offense is successful. And uh, Irv Smith has played a, a big role as a second-round tight end. It's not an easy thing to do to step right in and, and play a significant role where you have to block and go down the field as well. But he's done that and kind of been, uh, I think, a linchpin to what makes it work. We're talking with uh, Gus Farad here, Matthew Collar, Sage Rosenfels. So uh, tell me, Gus, We've been talking a lot about how the Vikings have played some pretty easy defenses. Defenses that were not super special in these last couple of weeks, and that's playing into Kirk Cousins' success. So what is it that defenses can do to slow down or make more difficult a Kubiak offense? Like, are are defenses going to start figuring this out as we go down the road here? Well, I don't know if it's necessarily, you know, I think the personnel is, it's the same. You have some stars throughout defenses throughout the league, but I think it's the coordinators. The coordinator's job is to figure out how to stop an offense. And, you know, it's just so amazing to watch Belichick every week figuring out how to stop an, uh, an offense that he's playing against. And, uh, you know, these defenses are going to have to figure out which one they want to try and beat. Do they want to try and stop the run and, and let Kirk Cousins beat him, or, or are they going to try and, you know, Hey, we're going to play zone and let let the running back go. And I think that uh, most teams want to stop the run if you really look at it. Because if your line starts moving that ball and starts pounding on that defensive line and those linebackers, it's going to be a long, long day. And then you're bringing safeties down. And then, like you said, all the play action stuff opens up. But I think that any team can win on any Sunday. And I think it's up to, uh, you know, you got a lot of great players in the NFL. And people want to say, well, we don't have the talent that this team has. Well, yeah, that could be true. And, in certain parts of uh, a defense, but for the most part, you have the same talent, and it's up to those coaches to really bring the best out of your defense. And so it's going to be interesting to see uh, what happens with the Vikings because as you get deeper in the schedule and the people they play and, and going against Green Bay, I mean, I think Green Bay is going to be the big test for them. Sage, you still over there, buddy? Yeah, I, yeah, I, I'm still here. I'm, okay, uh, I wasn't sure if you fell asleep at the wheel. No, I, I, did, I did not. Uh, so, so <laughs> did he so pay Gus attention did, to meetings like this, Gus? Yeah, well, hey, I'm, I'm, no. just, I'm, trying, I'm I didn't know if you were going to go collar. So, uh, my question is this: do Do you remember certain styles of defenses? You know, when the Vikings, like in this past game against uh, against Detroit, they they got a little bit lucky. One of their D linemen went out uh, in that ball game, and then the Vikings really started heating up there. Seemed like uh, you know in the second half, and and do you think that uh, to me uh, lines that had you know big, really, really, really big guys, but then on third down could rush the passer gave this style of offense trouble because they could stop the run and then get in third and longer situations and have the pass rushers that you know that i think that's always been the the concern about this style of offense is the uh the line a lot of times a little bit smaller more athletic which allows them to run that outside zone but can they hold up for you know 20 25 passes a game in straight drop back did you have some of those same uh you know thoughts when you played in this offense well you know since i one of my favorite things to do was be friends with the linemen because the linemen were kind of my kind of guys, how I grew up. Uh, you know, they're all just, just salt of the earth people. And Tommy Nalen, you know, I'll never forget when he would tell me, you know, we're playing against, uh, whether it was Seattle or we were playing, we went and played the Ravens in the playoffs and he'd always get a fever blister and he called it Sam Adams because he says, I would hate playing against Sam Adams because he's big, he's fast, he's strong. And, you know, if he's just fast, I can play against him. If he's just big and he's not fast, then I know what to do. But he's all three. And so I think really to stop that style of offense where you got a great run game, you got a great 
pass game and you got weapons out there, then you got to have guys in the middle that just can hold up, play the run, and you, where you're not putting five and six guys uh, committed to the run every time. You're playing a normal defense. DBs can sit back and, and sit on routes because you have pass rushers that can get to the quarterback in those long down and distances. And so if, if you have a great mix, I think that's how you stop a, an offense like that is what you said, Sage. You've got to have big guys in the middle who are strong and fast, and then you've got to have pass rushers that can come in and, and wreak havoc on, on a quarterback and make him move in the pocket and make him check down all the time because when we played those good teams that had those types of guys, those D, DBs just sat on every route. And you didn't have time to wait for him to get 50 yards downfield. And you were and end up throwing, you know, behind the chains all the time. You're never getting those plus 15, those plus 20 throws. Talking with Gus Ferrat here on Purple Daily. Gus, I'm curious. I don't know how many Vikings games you've gotten to see, but it always amazes me that Mike Zimmer, year to year, we go into training camp and we all write these stories. Well, we're a little worried about the depth at this position, or maybe this guy's going to fall off. And then year after year, they have great defenses Usually teams, they have their defenses kind of go up and down, and maybe it depends on luck or maybe it depends on schedule or something like that. But Zimmer has been so consistent through his career. Why do you think that is? Because he's a great defensive coach, and he understands schemes, and he understands talent, and he understands who needs to be where. I mean, you know, be where they are on, on the field, and he's not going to put, put somebody out of position. I mean, you've seen Bill Belichick throw – receivers in uh, playing in slot positions uh, covering their slot receivers on the other side because he knew that that's what I needed at that point. And it seems like Zimmer really understands that philosophy. And it doesn't hurt to have good players um, like like he has, like, like the Vikings have right now. But when you have a coach that understands little things, little schemes, and under can watch enough film and, and break down tendencies that you know if, if a tight end is, is up on the ball, if he's off, there's different tendencies – and I think one of the things that Zimmer really understands is having smart players, is that when you watch film, you understand it, and that knowledge of watching that film carries over onto the field so that you're just not playing with your pure talent. Now you're playing with your talent and your smarts. Well, and speaking of smart coaches, uh, you know, can we talk about Mike Shanahan for a second? Because I do find it interesting. Here's a coach you played for in Denver. Gary Kubiak was the coordinator, and we're sort of coming full circle. Did you see you know, anything in particular about that style of offense that may have been different than the other offenses and offensive coordinators you played in the NFL that has somehow spurned from Kubiak to Kyle Shanahan and now Sean McVay and Matt LaFleur, this coaching tree that's having a ton of success currently in the NFL? Was there anything specifically different about the way Shanahan went about things? Was it details? Was it just scheme? Was it you know how he saw? players what, what what may have made him different well i think coach shanahan was different because obviously he had a scheme he stuck to it uh i didn't necessarily fit into that scheme great when i went there i was more of a you know i came from the digit system big play action uh you know that west coast was a little different for me it was harder to catch on but coach shanahan kind of figured it out with me that when i got in and i had to play when brian greasy um when we shared time or whatever it was that you know, some of my strengths were, were big play action, throwing comebacks, throwing digs, throwing corner routes, um, those types of things. And then, uh, you know, but in that system, you're really trying to find the weakness of the defense. And the hardest part for me was the language. I think that all the stuff is the same, but in Coach Shanahan's system, and I don't know if it's still the same way with Cal running it or Coob's running it, 
But, you know, sometimes, Sage, you know this, there's 16, 17 words you got to say in the huddle. And to me, it was absolutely insane. I got to tell everybody what to do. <laughs> yeah. Mike was, Mike was a genius with that. And then he just put people around him who believed in him, believed in his system, and then tried to uh, keep those players and attract those players that play really well in that type of system. And I think Kirk Cousins fits that kind of system perfectly. Well, and, and I know there were some differences. You know, when you were playing for Shanahan, just the same play was, you know, double right, fake, uh, fake uh, 18, uh, reach, quarterback, keep left, whatever. And ours is just double right, fake 18, keep left. It, we, we simplified so many things. And fake 18, handoff, quarterback, keep left, I think is what they called it. And we just said fake 18, keep left. So we definitely... Uh, uh, trimmed off some of the fat of that wording, but yeah, and there, yet there were still some massively long play calls. Oh yeah, and it, it's it's tough, you know, when when they're trying to figure out what play to call, and you're standing in the huddle, and you're going, okay, we got 15 seconds left. Let's see if we can get this out, and then get up and be able to read the defense and do all that. But it's amazing what your mind can do. Um, you know, I had to work extremely hard coming from a digit system, and then going to the West Coast to learn all that stuff with with Coops grinding on me and Pat grinding on me and, and uh, all the people there saying, you've got to mem- rem- remember these plays because you want to get to the point where you're Steve Young. And I'm like, look, I'm never going to be Steve Young. I'm, you're not going to tell me one word or one formation, and I'm going to remember the whole play because that's really how the West Coast is designed. That The formation we have this week, we have one play off of it. And it's it's insane to me that, that Steve was you know had that kind of memory and could do that kind of thing. But uh, for me, I needed a wristband to, to really remember some of those plays. Uh, Gus, before we let you go, each week, as Sage mentioned, we have our journeyman quarterback of the week. So I feel like you should have a nomination here. Why don't you give us another journeyman that you played with in Washington? You've got some good options here, including Sage, if you want them. Uh, <laughs> and, and then tell us a little story about... Um, that other journeyman. I was just looking this up. You've got some gems here. You got Jeff Hostetler that was on the same team with you. I mean, there's all sorts of guys. So give us give us our journeyman oh, quarterback yeah. of the week. I, mean, I had Jeff Hostetler, Casey Weldon, a bunch Casey of guys Weldon. that I played with, and and um, uh, you know, one story about Jeff. Jeff was a guy that I looked up to when he came in. I don't think he had the juice in his arm left anymore, but you know, he was a hard worker, good player, and. I really just sat there and asked him questions every day about what it was like playing with the Raiders and the Giants, going to the Super Bowl and, and doing a lot of those things. And, and uh, one thing that Jeff and I really had in common was we both loved to be pranksters. He was a prankster in the locker room. I love to prank people. I've pranked a lot of guys in my time. Um, you know, uh, I just did a podcast with Morton Anderson talking about how, you know, I froze all his clothes up in Minnesota when he came and kicked for the Vikings back in the day. And, <laughs> And then the next thing I know, all my clothes were out of my locker room and over the goalpost, frozen over the goalpost before practice. And I had nothing to wear. And, and D. Ryan had to get me some some uh, clothes that didn't necessarily fit for practice. But Jeff told me a story about how he pranked Howie Long. And uh, he said, what I did was I got um, a license plate um made up in california it said honk of your k and he put it on howie's car and he said he followed howie home but howie didn't know it and all these people are honking at howie down the road and howie's just waving out the window and so like that was like one of my favorite stories of how to prank somebody uh there's a lot more that i could go into but um you know it you know that's just the thing about the nfl is that you got a brotherhood you got a lot of people and it's just amazing 
you know, some of the things that, that you go through with these people because you're there every day. And to really, um, to be all business every day, um, it's, it's hard to do because now the NFL is definitely all year long. And so you got to have some fun and you got to bring some levity into the locker room and, and um, create, create relationships sometimes where there may not be some. Well, Jeff Hostetler, uh, I'm still mad at him for holding on to the ball when Bruce Smith sacked him in the end zone in the uh, Super Bowl. You remember I'm from Buffalo, Gus, so not right, not right. super thrilled about how that Super Bowl went. Um, but uh, well, there's probably a few kickers you're not happy with either. So. Oh yeah, well uh, that's that's why Minnesota was such a fit for me, Gus, because it's like, oh, you guys got problems with kickers? Let's sit down and talk. Um, well, Gus, it's always <laughs> it's always great to have you on. I know uh, Sage for you, it's a thrill to have another journeyman anytime we have one on, right? Well, I, I tell you what, and and to have this you know recent talk about like what, you know, with Adrian Peterson's issues and maybe some teammates didn't like him uh, or he didn't work hard. Um, Gus Ferrat, I played with him for one year with Nick Saban, with Jason Garrett as our quarterbacks coach. Uh, we had a, a term- we had a nine and seven. We were I think three and seven and, and one like six in a row to go nine and seven. And uh, and he left and I both left. We have a year of Nick Saban together, and and I saw Gus Ferrat lead our football team. He was our starter. Uh, he played his tail off. He had a huge arm. He was tough as nails, and and he was a little bit. He was obviously older than me, and so you know during the off season of which with Nick Saban is you know basically putting yourself through hell. Uh, Gus was keeping up uh, with this young guy over here who could run run a little bit uh, into some of those sprints, and so he was an extremely hard worker. Guys really liked him as a teammate, and because uh, Gus really cared. And Gus had a high expectation for us to win, and and he played really, really good football that season. Yeah, well, well, thanks for that, Sage. And you know, one of my things I always tell people about Miami is, yeah, we may not have been perfect, but we did have two guards pull and run into each other on one play. So that <laughs> might be why we didn't go to the playoffs that year. Oh, I'll man. never forget that play. Uh, Gus Ferrat, make sure you check out his uh, his new work, his new podcast, Huddle Up with Gus. Uh, some very cool stuff there. Gus, uh, we'll have you on again, man. Thanks for coming on, buddy. Nah, I appreciate it. Yeah, and if you can find another journeyman, I think he's still playing, actually, Fitzy. So that's going to have oh, more man. teams than you and me. But, uh, and uh, I think maybe Kate, the only other one, right? I don't know, uh, but uh, there's a few of us out there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They're, they're out there. A rare, a rare breed, though. Thanks, Gus. All right. Thanks, guys. Ryan, tell you Ryan Fitzpatrick is like our white whale. Like we need to Man. get Ryan Fitzpatrick on the show. Yeah, well, probably after his career, he's got a lot going on. He ran over somebody last week. Gus Ferrat, <laughs> by the way, Washington, <laughs> Detroit, Denver, Cincinnati, Minnesota, Miami, St. Louis, and back to Minnesota. Man. And now lives in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, which I believe he grew up in that area. And, so, and even though uh, I gu- gave him the pick, still a great pick with Jeff Hostetler for the that, uh, that was a great team. pick. But it doesn't really uh, match our. Uh, I think Jeff Hostel only played for three teams. Oh. Though you could say the it says Los Angeles slash Oakland, uh, which he had to move. So you could actually probably get him in with a, with with that. I and guess it's all part of the journey. Certainly has his uh, his shining moment in all uh, part the of the Super journey. Bowl, I can't so. wait to talk about my journeyman quarterback. Okay, uh, well, of of Washington when well, we get to that uh, segment. All right. Well, we've got to take a break, and then you can give it, and you'll have like four minutes to do so, and then uh, that's the hour because we went long with Gus. Uh, we'll be right back here on Purple Daily. <laughs> 
football fans. It's Mackie here for Federated Insurance. You might not know this about me, but I've been a business owner a couple different times in my life. I can relate to the roller coaster ride, the never ending sea of problems to solve, the exhilaration of those incremental wins. If you're a business owner, I recommend getting to know Federated, which has over a century of experience in protecting businesses and making them as successful as they can be. You want a company like Federated standing behind your business? Visit FederatedInsurance.com to find your local representative. Federated Mutual Insurance Company. It's our business to protect yours. Jonathan here with the Score North Download. This download brought to you by the 2020 Choice Bank Minnesota Golf Show. And Mike Zimmer said yesterday at the podium about Adam Thielen's chances of playing yesterday. This is what he said. Uh, we'll see more tomorrow. You know, he's improving fast, so uh, he's got a chance. Well, they saw more today. They didn't like what they saw, so they are sitting him. He will not be playing on Thursday night against Washington. Not a bad move by the Vikings resting their star, one of their star wide receivers, heading into a short week. That's been your score note down on a back to Purple Daily. All right, since we went long with uh, Gus Brout, we've only got a couple minutes here, but if you missed any of that interview, it was super fun with uh, Sage Rosenfels, myself, and, and Gus. So, Sage, why don't you give me your Washington Journeyman Quarterback of the Week? I'm sure you played with plenty of them. They are one of the key franchises of journeymen. Like, we've got a great run here of Chicago, the Lions come up, Washington, just all sorts of gems. Well, and I played there at an interesting time, and, and uh, Marty Schottenheimer drafted me in the fourth round of the 2001 draft. And uh, But the following year, I was there for training camp with Steve Spurrier after Marty got fired. So I was there for plenty of quarterbacks, and like almost all of them, we're journeymen. Uh, start off with Jeff George was our starter. Uh, a kid named Todd Husack was a sixth round pick the year before in a North Turner. He got released uh, basically once the season started. So it was Jeff George, Tony Banks. Uh, we signed because Dallas had just released him for some reason. Um, Solid because they, journeyman, Tony. Because Banks. they had drafted Quincy Carter in the second round and he was now the guy, and so that they got rid of. Out. Uh, a Tony, which was a surprise because he was going to be the starter, supposedly. Uh, so we pick him up mid-training camp, Tony Banks. Uh, and then two weeks into the season, uh, Jeff George gets fired. And then we add Kent Graham, another journeyman Man, love Kent Graham. Uh, to the crew. But uh, um, uh, Tony had, all, I believe, all the starts the rest of the season. Played pretty dang well for us. He had a cannon, uh, was a heck of an athlete. Uh, I thought a really, really uh, nice guy, and, and we got along really well. You know, Brian Schottenheimer was super young, uh, but Tony had quite the career. You know, St. Louis Ram, but well, Michigan State, uh, Michigan Stater, and and uh, they were they were pretty good there. I believe they went to some pretty good bowl games. But he started there for two years, and then amazing how the numbers have changed in college football. His senior year, he had nine touchdowns, only <laughs> played nine games, but nine touchdowns, fifteen picks. Uh, and uh, junior year only 11 and 6, so not all that. I mean, 11, 20 touchdowns and starting 20 games in college football. That's crazy now with how much teams throw the football. So he anyway, ends up getting a, a second-round pick in St. Louis and, and uh, is there for four years and goes to the Ravens, uh, and then Cowboys, Washington with me, and then Houston Texans, which when I went to Houston, I uh, you know knew a lot of people that obviously they were still on that football team. He was the original backup of, uh, of David Carr, when that franchise started. So they're looking for veteran backup, and, and he was the journeyman veteran backup at that time. So uh, Tony Banks, wow. um, who his wife uh, made wonderful cookies. Uh, she was a professional cook or chef or baker or something, and she brought in cookies every week, and, and they were in our quarterback's room, and uh, I probably ate most of them. All right, I'm trying to scramble to get anything interesting off his wiki. There isn't enough really here. Heaps of tight. I think he lives in wiki. I, I, 
I believe he lives in Dallas, uh, and I believe he does some uh, TV and, and you know football stuff down there, TV, radio, you know, type stuff. So okay, uh, he's obviously it. having some success, and maybe that's the thing we're talking about. You know, we just talked with Gus. Gus is in the media game here a little bit. Tried coaching. Uh, he's doing a, a, obviously that podcast. I'm sure he does a lot of radio shows. Uh, get involved because I think there is something about the guys who travel around. Uh, you have a lot of stories to tell. You mm-hmm. played with a lot of different players and coaches and franchises, and you sort of saw the good and the bad and you get to a new team, you're like, oh, I wish they would do it this way, or oh man, this is a great way, a new way of doing it. I wish my last coaches would have known this, right? Uh, and so I think the, you, you, there's probably more to talk about. And uh, you know, and, and when you're playing, you can't be the one out in front doing all the interviews and and uh, being on TV and and uh, you get sort of like you know be seen and not heard. And I think a lot of guys get in that media game. And Tony Banks is seems like one of those guys that uh, you know you got a lot of things to you, you would like to say, you just couldn't say it when you're playing. Uh, okay, I've got my random factoid on Tony Banks, a Minnesota connection. He played right field for the Twins Class A team in Fort Myers before. Uh... He became an NFL player, obviously. There you go. So there you have it. Our, our From San right. Diego. From San Diego. Yeah. I, I'm sure he was, it looks like he was a, a good baseball and basketball player. I'm sure, he, I'm sure he was a hell of a basketball player. He was a phenomenal athlete and a guy that, uh, for how fast he was, he really didn't run all that much. He just had a huge arm, took like a 12-yard drop, and then he'd <laughs> run up into the pocket, it seemed like, and just fire it. Uh, you know, that's, that's the, you know, I had he and Jeff George as like the first two quarterbacks, just two guys with just rifles. And here I am, uh, you know, just trying to, you know, throw a hitch and a slant out there with some decent accuracy. So, uh, I, I got to play with some great throwers early on. And, and, uh, and, and, and Tony, what said he, again, he was up. I'm sure guys liked him in some place he played. Some guys probably didn't, but my experience with Tony was uh, he's a very likable guy. He worked hard. Players respected him, and it seemed like you know week in and week out he gave us a great chance to win. Okay. We're extremely late for the break, so I appreciate you, Sage. Great job today, and we'll talk to you on Monday. Sounds great. All right. We'll be back with Brian Murphy and Judd Zolgad here on Purple Daily. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest-growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Now I'm going to say something, and I'm probably going to take a lot of heat for it, but I won't hear about it because I don't have a Twitter. Thank God you do. <laughs> but Adrian Peterson, to me, was the definition of why you shouldn't meet your heroes, ever. And, I, and I'm a firm believer of that because after I met Adrian, I was so disappointed. That was Alex Boone, and uh, great commentary on that from Sage Rosenfels last hour. If you missed it, go check it out, download the podcast, give it some star ratings and reviews and so forth. Now in the studio to discuss further the legacy of Adrian Peterson, Judd Zolgad, and Brian Murphy. I brought in the OGs here, and I want you guys to talk about this because you were here before me. I thought it was EG, experienced guys. Uh, Sure, call it whatever you like. Um, But... uh, my experience of covering Adrian Peterson's was much like Alex Boone's of playing with him. It was a tumultuous year. Uh, the way that Peterson conducted himself at the end of that season was hardly impressive or hardly team first, for sure. And even though he's a legend and you have to respect the things that he did in the years past, I can entirely see why a teammate would look at the things he was doing, especially at the end of the year, going on his own radio station, announcing he was coming back, pulling himself out of the game against Indianapolis, deciding not to play against Green Bay because the playoff odds were down. I mean, I can see why someone especially new who hadn't been around Adrian before would look at that and go, what is going on here? 
Um, but what was your guys' reaction? I know, you, Judd, you got a little, so why don't you start, Brian, with just oh. your, your reaction to, to Alex Boone? Alex saying those things about Adrian Peterson. Well, I love the fact that he uh, they also flamed the old man because we anybody here knows that from the day Adrian Peterson got to Minnesota, Nelson Peterson was doing his bidding in the media for playing time, for contract negotiations, uh, for uh, whatever whatever tr- injury updates. You know, media. You, I mean, you covered the team, Judd. You had to you had to be aware of what Nelson Peterson was saying and to whom at any given time because he had no idea where he was going to come from and that's there was usually a grain of truth in it but not really and it was usually always about how did how does it make nelson peterson look better and Mm -hmm. and what's in it for nelson peterson which of course was let's keep this gravy train going as long as we can as much money Uh, as possible as possible um i thought uh you know i was a little shocked at what boone said about him running the wrong play and then blaming the line for the for the fumble because adrian peterson was notorious for fumbling it wasn't as if this, it's not as if Adrian had a credible leg to stand on to say, boy, this one fumble in a key game, I can't believe that would have happened. It had to have been the Lions' fault when, you know, there wasn't a moment in any key game, in any Vikings key game history where Peterson did not put the ball on the ground. Including the 2009 NFC oh, title how could game. We for at least four times, right? At least three. He was charged, I think, with two. He really fumbled three. It might have gotten to four. Um, th- this Here's the thing. This whole conversation to me is very, very complex because, as I talked about today on Ventline, to me it's three chapters. It's Peterson 2007 to 2013. In six of those seven years, he rushed for more than 1,000 yards. And in 2012, he came back after tearing his ACL on Christmas Eve 2011 and rushed for 2,000 yards. Seventh player to do that. Adrian got away with a lot at that time, but guess what? He was that good. I think Chapter 2, which is what Boone is talking about, and I think Boone hit it. I don't think he's wrong about this. Chapter 2 started in 2014 when Peterson played one game. The child abuse charges came down, the whole thing with the switch. And keep in mind, Adrian has never, didn't then, and won't now accept blame. He doesn't. And I'm not talking about just for, for the pain and injury he inflicted upon his child. I'm talking about in anything. He still thinks he's good. Like, he still thinks, I'm Adrian Peterson. I can play. So this is a very, in some in some ways, the story is sad and simple, but it's a very complex guy, too. And Oh, I don't think he's that complex. But it's a very complex. It, to, me, to me, it's complex, though, because he was such a star. Oh, the story's complex. And so, yes. Yeah. And so it crosses thresholds of... His greatness, his his anger, which probably caused part of his demise, certainly here, and the guy now who is washed up. But the saddest thing is this, Murph. If I'd come to you in 2009 and said, here's how it's going to end. Bitter, washed up, won't quit playing, and is on his third team since he left here. I think you'd look at me and be like, Oh, I can buy yeah, all of that. I can see that. That's what's sad about this. Yeah, because in uh, one of the things that we used to, you know, cynically joke about in the, in the media room is, you know, you cover a lot of athletes and you see a lot of these guys um, surround themselves with a bunch of sycophants and yes men and and gravy train robbers. Um, Adrian was one of them. Um, he also, uh, you know, fathered a lot of women, a lot of children with a lot of different women. He's got a lot of alimony payments out there. We were joking all the time. You watch. 
when Adrian Peterson retires, he's going to be broke within two years. Well, no, he's still playing, and he's already broke. Mm-hmm. I don't know if people saw the headlines earlier this year. He had to declare bankruptcy, or at least several banks are coming and creditors are coming after him. Um, the most predictable thing you could find because of his lifestyle, because of the people he surrounded him with, himself with. That's why I think he's still playing. He doesn't know what else to do, but he also needs to pay some creditors in the bills, too. Um, so, no, you're right. Ten years ago, I could see how it would break uh, uh, break down this way. And we, we've mentioned it before, too. He's delusional. He's delusional about his skill set. Look, the math does not lie. You came back from an ACL tear nine months later and ran for 2,000 yards. You know, they'll never take that away from you. You can, you can, that'll be chiseled into your bust in Canton. Okay. That's a great thing. But, um, you also don't play, f- what is it now? 12 years, 13 years. And you're still not, you're, you're not going to be the Adrian Peterson of old. And you're also playing on an awful organization right now that's going nowhere. So you might get a lot of junk yards this year, but the body's breaking down and that never, uh, that math never lies. And I think about the circumstances in 2016 where the conversation was, what are they going to do with Adrian Peterson? And I think it was quite clear as we went on and on with that, especially at what happened in Indianapolis and then him subsequently deciding not to play after that in Green Bay, that it was over, that his last moments as a Minnesota Viking were going to be in a 34-3 to loss where they had brought him back to help save that season and he did the exact opposite and didn't look anything like the Adrian Peterson of old aside from the fumble and I've got to think and it's a great point that Sage brought up in the first hour that hanging over his head at that time was he's done the organization thinks he's done the organization wants to move on they're probably going to draft running backs now remember what kind of running back draft that was Delvin Cook Kareem Hunt Elvin Kamara all these great players Leonard Fournette it was pretty much a foregone conclusion that they were going to pick a running back and replace Adrian Peterson and he had to know that and to not also be able to play for the majority of that season while his team was losing for a guy who was very competitive and felt like he was the franchise I imagine he wasn't in the best mood. So you add that with sort of his petulance at times, his childishness at times throughout his career, and you could understand why someone new to that locker room would not see him the same way that as someone who was there five years ago. He had run things, too. In fact, when Favre got here in 2009, I, I believe they they gave Brett two, not one, lockers, and guess who else he immediately got to? Adrian. Mm. He, he, Did he get a corner locker too? I don't know if it was corner. It I don't wasn't think the it corner was. When I it got was here, near yeah. the corner. But the the point being is he, he was he was at one time the face of the franchise. He ran the offense as far as he was concerned. He dictated things, and then it's gone. And the whole thing, the biggest thing about the child abuse charge to me was this: he could never accept the fact that he felt that the team turned on him immediately because. If you recall, that horrible Spielman press conference, which, by the way, Rick was set up to fail from the second that he did that. But when Rick got up there and said, you know, it's a family thing, we're going to let this sort itself out, and he's going to play. And everyone's like, what Mm. are you doing? And then the league stepped in. It's like, no, 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 you can't do this. Because there were photos. Yeah, and there were photos, and the child was hurt, and it was awful. But then then when they came back and did a press conference, I think two days after that, and and it, it was Mark Wilf and Kevin Warren... And Adrian, the adults stepped in. The adults stepped in, and Adrian, though, never forgave right. Kevin at all. And he couldn't believe that the fran- this franchise, to which he was, he thought he built it. Like that, that's 
the level that he went to as far as, um, Murph, to your point, the uh, potential delusional Mm -hmm. aspect here. In Adrian's mind, he thought, how could you do this to me? How can you turn on me? You don't understand. And, And I will say this. From a football standpoint, the real demise to me will always be opening night 2015 San Francisco. When, when they basically unveiled an offense built for their quarterback, yeah. Teddy, and it didn't go well, and it was pistol and shotgun. And if you guys recall, what happened? They lost that game, and all of a sudden it went back to Adrian's offense. Adrian. So if we're talking a, a when did the player that Alex Boone is talking about develop officially, it was that night because that was the guy who said, whoa, 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 this is about me. And what he didn't realize and what he couldn't control and what I still don't think he gets is this in his career this game changed mightily in yes. 2007 yes. if you he came straddles in as a star that. running yep. back you were a god right? right yes now now if you can't pass protect and you can't Which catch he never could right exactly but he will say that in every training camp if these guys can't pass protect they're not getting on the field exactly but now but so that became a huge deal but in his mind he still couldn't wrap his head around the fact that the game had evolved and changed and the fact that he couldn't do that was a big deal well and you mentioned too you know the uh, we talked about the 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 child abuse scandal and how that erupted because there were photos right Mm -hmm. there were pictures of this four-year-old bloodied uh you know what i think really did him in from a pr standpoint or at least from an optic standpoint too was uh, besides not taking responsibility and, and kind of wondering, hey, this is how I was raised and this is no big deal. Um, no, what you did was you whipped your child bloody, you put him on a plane to mom, and then when it the, leaked and you wondered what all the fuss was about, I mean, that, that again goes to how tone deaf he was and how he had surrounded himself with a bunch of yes men and sycophants who were like, you did nothing wrong. This is fine. It'll blow over. Uh, even the team tried to close ranks around him right away. It didn't happen. And then the, you're right. The league had to step in and Kevin Warren, the attorney, yep. the, the adult in the room said, uh, unlike what's going on in Houston, by the way, with the Astros and their, their front office, an adult stepped in and said, we're going to, we're going to put the fire out right now. Step aside, Adrian. And this is where the conversation actually started with Alex Boone was the complicated legacy of Adrian Peterson, because I got a ton of tweets yesterday from angry Adrian Peterson fans who have number 29 jerseys and who... 28. 28, I'm sorry. Watched... Uh, Chester just, Taylor was good, just too. smeared Xavier Rhodes. I know, sorry, Xavier. No, Chester Taylor, he was a great running back. I love Chester yeah, Taylor. Yeah, I was referring to the best running back during that era, Chester Taylor. He could sorry. block and catch no, as well. Number, number 28 jerseys, you know what I mean. Uh, so, the you know, just people who loved AP, and he made that franchise relevant at a time where they just didn't win a ton. It, it wasn't like the, um, the Randy Moss era where they make two NFC championships and are a field goal away from making a Super Bowl. It was more like... Boy, we didn't have a whole lot to grip onto during that. And this guy made us relevant. He was on video game covers. He was the megastar. He always kind of had something interesting or funny to say. So he was a, a likable personality from that standpoint. And to see him, if you were a huge, huge AP fan, to see him kind of crumble with the stuff with the child abuse and then have... Someone like Alex say, well, yeah, he wasn't even that great of a teammate either when I met him, and it was really disappointing. 
I could see where that would be a gut punch for fans who really loved him at that time. And then there are other people who, I mean, you could say Adrian Peterson wasn't any good. And they're like, yeah, he sucked because I didn't like that he abused his child, which you can't no, say that either. He was not. as great as anyone has ever been at that position for a number of years. He ran angry. He ran hard. He ran and he did things that no other running back in his in his era. He was the greatest running back of his era. Nobody can deny him that. And I think for, I was in Washington on Christmas Eve 2011 when he got T-boned at the line and his leg was caved in. Now, this is December 24th, and he was back on the field uh, September 10th or whatever the hell it was. Nine months later, he was back. And he ran for 2,097 yards that season. At six yards a carry. I can't. I mean, I'm sorry. That's a super human feat and that is a tremendous accomplishment you can't take that away from him either and as somebody who covered the team for several years adrian was genuinely a nice guy you know not exactly bright not exactly dynamic he was used but, by a lot but of he was used by a lot of people and you know again he was in denial about a lot of things it doesn't i don't take great joy in having him sort of get ripped by the likes of alex boone uh or and you know fans in general that uh, you judge him for his conduct off the field, judge him for his actions and what he said. Um, but you also got to judge his career, and you got to judge it accordingly. I think this is one of those stories too, where I you're going to find ten years from now, maybe not even ten, five, ten years from now, after he's been out of the game for a while, I think there will be a detente reach between him and the club. I think he will come back for a ring of honor type thing. I can't see him being that bitter. He's going to Canton. that long. He's definitely going yeah, to Canton. He's going to the Hall of Fame for and, sure. And it's not like um you don't do you pick a jersey or do you pick a how do they do that? I don't even know, right? Do they pick a no, helmet? No, they pick nothing. No, it's just you and your just, bus. Just the bus. Yep. Okay. So you don't have to necessarily no. go in as a Viking. So there won't be that kind of a storyline in hope 5 he's not, years. Not completely broke. Well, he's already completely for his broke. sake. No, but, no, but I'm I'm saying you mean I, broken physically or no, broke no, no, financially. I mean financially, post career. I I hope that he's not destroyed financially. I hope no. He's not. I don't either. But, I mean, it's easy to, to make me, fun simple. of a guy who made fifty million dollars in his career is broke. The, the guy, the guy that I covered from two thousand seven to thirteen is one of the greatest athletes I will ever see, and it was awesome. I would never give it back. It was great. Single game rushing. Record in his rookie year against the uh, Chargers. 296 yards, yeah, right? 2,000 yards in 2012. Unfortunately, for the time that Boone discussed, the 2014 through 16 was just sad. But it, predictable. It, yeah, but, it, but it, you know, just it was sad. It was sad, but not surprising. It was, it was exactly what you would have expected a few years back. Before, if things went worst case, and guess what? Unfortunately, they probably went worse than that. So, before we take a break, and we talk with Sam Monson for Pro Football Focus, we'll ask him a little bit about Adrian Peterson's legacy as well. But I, I just wanted to add that the world we've created a little bit with social media can be very much: Are you team this guy or team hater or whatever it might be? And it reminds me of it's more nuanced a lot of conversations that we have, like about Kirk Cousins, where if we criticized Kirk Cousins last year for not fulfilling his potential. Or or living up to the contract, that it was, you just hate him. Like, no, no. I mean, it's way more complicated than that. It's way more interesting than that, actually. It's, it started to just be really boring to have people, you know, sending me 
uh, notes all day long. You just, you hate this, or you hate that, or this guy's stupid, or whatever else. Like, well, why don't we try to put it all together and see what we have? Because in Adrian Peterson, it's a fascinating story of one of the great athletes in history. And what Alex Boone talked about is part of that legacy. You can't deny it. You can't say it didn't happen. It did. The way it ended here was bad, and it was ugly, and it was on a fumble. I mean, like that that happened. How fitting. And uh, yeah, right. I mean, so that's that's all a part of Adrian Peterson's legacy as one of the great players here. It's just like as much as Randy Moss has moved on from some of the darker moments that he had here, those are real too. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it exists in a lot of great, great players, even all the way to Michael Jordan with the Washington Wizards. So um, anyway, I appreciate the conversation, Judd. Thanks for stopping in. Uh, Brian, you're going to stick around. We'll continue. We'll talk with Sam Monson from Pro Football Focus when we return here on Purple Daily. You know, I, I hope so, but it's really not for me to say. I think it's week to week, and you got to go prove it. And I don't really feel safe to comment on who we are or what we're doing until the season's over. And you look back and say, hey, what was the body of work? Um, each week is its own entity, and uh, you never know what the next opponent's going to throw at you and how you need to respond to it game to game, but also play to play, series to series. So um, I think we, we understand what we do well and, and uh, the playmakers we have and how we want to use them. But week to week, it can vary as to what that looks like, and uh, we'll see it come the end of the year what the body of work ended up being. All right, back here on Purple Daily, Matthew Collar, Brian Murphy of Multiple Media now. What is your Twitter? It's like Brian Murphy It's Media? just Murph Media. Uh, Murph I'm Media. a generalist, as they yeah. say. I'm a free agent. Oh, you're an empire. I'm, I'm for, not quite. That's not what the checks are a, indicating. A mogul, but. I think. A mogul. Um, okay, well, long-time columnist. Can you, want, you want to go with that? Emeritus. I don't know what that word means. Uh, all right, well, let's bring in Sam Hudson of uh, Pro Football Focus. Sam, we've been talking about Adrian Peterson a lot. Is that okay with you? Can we talk about Adrian Peterson? Yeah, that's fine. I, 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 I will. Uh, I will accept your your programming. That's fine. <laughs> All right. Well, we're paying you nothing for this appearance, so I just figured I would check with you first. Uh, well, what we've been discussing uh, is um, Adrian Peterson's legacy as as a running back. I mean, now we talk about the value of running backs not being the same, but he was super dominant as a runner during his prime, but not really a factor at all as a receiver, a very poor pass blocker. I mean, where where do you kind of categorize him among the history of the great players at that position? Yeah, it's it's a really interesting topic because it's all changed, right? You know, you go back far enough and running backs were important. They were the driving force behind offenses and gradually over the years that's changed and it's, you know, we we recognize immediately that it's very difficult to compare quarterbacks across eras. But we assume you can with running backs. And honestly, the same thing is true. The game changes, so running backs change and it's very difficult to compare you know, even a Zeke Elliott with an Adrian Peterson, with a Barry Sanders, with, you know, a Jim Brown, they're, they're all very, very different, um, not just players, but also in terms of the errors they were playing in and what they needed to be able to do. So Peterson was this dominant ball carrier, incredible his ability to make things happen on the ground and to, to turn nothing plays into something. But he came along and was dominant as the league was changing and pivoting towards a pass-heavy style of offense. And, you know, it's very difficult to square this idea that for as dominant as he was, for most of his career, 
his team did not think he was capable of being on the field in the most important situations um, when they needed him. You know, passing downs, hurry-up offense, all that kind of thing. The Vikings would keep him off the field because they didn't think he was capable of doing those things, whether it was blocking, whether it was catching passes out of the backfield, all that kind of stuff. Or hanging onto and the ball. <laughs> that too. Um, and that's really not the case for any of these other great backs. You know, the, the, the Lions didn't take Barry Sanders off the field when, you know, it was crucial downs. Now, you could he used to get criticism, Barry Sanders, for he didn't get the goal line carries sometimes. You know, there was a coaching staff that gave it to the fullback instead. But, you know, none of these guys I don't think you can you can point to and say, this guy had a sufficiently large flaw in his game that his team didn't trust him in some of the most important situations in them, in, in they're ever going to face. Uh, Sam, because of the we've we talked about how the game is trending and, and it's a pass-happy game and it doesn't seem to ever going to regress back to a run-first type operation, but he ran for 2,097 yards coming off ACL knee surgery in 2012. Will he be the last 2,000-yard rusher? That's a good question. Um I don't know if he'll be the last. I think it's still possible to get incredible rushing production even in a pass-happy NFL um, because, if anything, you know, running the ball is getting easier because all these spread systems and this spread, this heading towards spread concepts, it makes rushing easier because you're taking guys out of the box. And one of the biggest determining factors of what kind of rushing success you're going to have is simply how many people are lined up in the box. And you're not going to see these games where it's eight men in the box every single play because the running back is so good. You have everybody lining up in an 11 personnel with three, four, or five wide receivers. You just don't see people stacked in the box to stop the running back. You're going to get these, you know, Mike Leach-style offensive rushing systems where a running back is able to have a huge amount of um, success because they're getting the ball and, and breaking off eight yards of carry every single time. So, Sam, where does this leave us with Delvin Cook? Because I've been thinking about this quite a bit, and there's sort of part one and part two to the running back conversation. Part one is how much they're worth. Part two is, like, should you pay them at some point? And it's actually getting surprisingly close to the time where the Vikings would start having those conversations about a second contract with Delvin Cook. Usually it's in the offseason before their final year where they extend players like Stephon Diggs or Daniel Hunter, and I have no doubts that they're going to extend Delvin Cook too. I mean, what do we make of his value being that he is more than just the runner's running back? Yeah, he is. And the other thing is, um, so over large periods of time and over large numbers, running backs are more the product of their environment than they are the product of their own ability. But specific players can change that, and certainly over specific time periods. And there's no doubt right now that Dalvin Cook is driving a huge amount of his own production versus the blocking or the system around him. Every single time you watch a Vikings game, there are a ton of plays where Dalvin Cook should get four yards and gets 12. Um, and that's happening, you know, every single game, multiple times. And really the only blot on his copy book this year is fumbles. Um, but he is playing incredibly right now. And that's the kind of thing that earns those players contracts, even if they aren't necessarily going to justify them going forward when, when that sort of regresses back to the mean. 
Well, Sam, uh, besides Adrian Peterson, Case Keenum gets to have a bit of a homecoming at U.S. Bank Stadium for the first time since the uh, Minneapolis miracle that he directed with Stephon Diggs against the Saints in that NFC divisional playoff game. Uh, and it's also been now two years since the uh, since Washington decided, uh, you know, we're not even going to franchise uh, Kirk Cousins another time. We're just going to let him let him walk. How is um, I mean, there's there's still the jury is out on on what he's going to uh, do during his tenure in Minnesota. But as far as Washington's decision to let Cousins go, how should we view that today? I think they were, I mean, they were probably right to do that. You know, I think they had a reasonably good handle on what exactly Kirk Cousins was, which is a quarterback of a certain caliber that's capable of doing some things, but wasn't the guy they wanted to pay big time, long term money to. Now, you can question the strategy of paying massive amounts of money to him whilst you decided that. Um, they basically paid him a huge contract while they were dithering around, deciding they didn't want to pay him a huge contract. So there's, you can definitely criticize, criticize, that way of approaching it. But I think, you know, ultimately they've been proved right in terms of he's not a quarterback that's going to raise your roster and take you to the promised land if you're not capable of getting there independent of him. Um, and, you know, from the Viking side of things, they brought him in because they thought he was capable of elevating this team for certain games that either Sam Bradford or Teddy Bridgewater um, wasn't, or, or Case Keenum wasn't necessarily capable of doing. And, that one's more complicated because I think they've been proven correct. He is capable of doing that on occasions. It's just that they need him to do it in a specific set of games, and he hasn't done that yet. That's what's so interesting to me, Sam, about how we analyze Kirk Cousins, because, of course, I see the tweets of, you were wrong about Cousins or after these last three games. And, it, well, last year did happen, and we all saw it. Um, but the supporting cast right now is really good. Uh, Adam Thielen's not going to play on Thursday, but Thielen, Diggs, Cook, it's a better offensive line than it was last year, which isn't saying much, but it is better. And an improved system by far that seems to fit Cousins. But also, these things are not new for Kirk Cousins. The end of his 2015 season is miraculous. The 2016 season was really, really good for Cousins. And it's always been about, can he take this team where they want to go? And I think it's the rare situation, Sam, where we will actually judge this guy on big wins and losses. I mean, maybe it's not entirely fair, but that's how I think he's going to be judged here, not on any of his statistics or, unfortunately, not on PFF grades and things like that. It will be, does he get them to the playoffs and win there? Yeah, I mean, it absolutely will be. And I don't know that that's the wrong way of doing it. I think what we just need to do with with Cousins and when we talk about him is stop living and dying with the the, the various ebbs and flows of the roller coaster. You know, that everybody was, was having a heart attack earlier in the season because Cousins was playing terribly. And now Cousins is playing like an MVP. And neither of those things are who, we are, are, are who he is. You know, he isn't a terrible quarterback and he isn't an MVP caliber quarterback. He's somewhere in the middle. And what's actually amazing is he's consistently somewhere in the middle. And, you know, if you look at his PSF grades, every single year it ends up in the same band of 10, 11 grading points. And when he was playing terribly earlier in the season, we were saying, look, if he's going to end his season with a grade somewhere between 70 and 80, which is where he always is, he's going to have a couple of games that make him look like a superstar to drag this number back up. And that's exactly what he's done so far. So if you're going to consistently be an average quarterback over a 16-game period, the important thing for this team is simply 
where does he time the big performances for? Because they know he's going to be up and down, but if he times those big performances for a run that goes, you know, week 17, division game, uh, NFC championship game, Super Bowl, then he's Joe Flacco and he wins a championship and everybody's happy. If he doesn't time it for those important games, then he's, he's just a volatile guy that, you know, he's Jameis Winston that ultimately a team decides they're better off without because he's not capable of doing it when they need him most. You know, about 10 days ago, we were sort of christening the uh, NFC North as uh, a division that may have four winning teams or at least send three to the playoffs. Well, you know, the Lions uh, got jobbed in at Lambeau and then lost to the Vikings. Chicago basically got their souls taken from them by New Orleans at home uh, the other day, and it seems to be emerging. It's uh, Vikings-Packers here uh, right now in charge, or at least uh, in command. Do you see between Detroit and uh, Chicago one of those two teams rebounding at all? I mean, I think they could potentially rebound. I think it's very tough to ask, you know, three or more teams from the same division to have a winning record simply because they have to play each other so many times. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, Chicago's problem is obvious to everybody. It's the quarterback, and it's the fact that the quarterback is dragging – it's basically the quarterback is taking the ship down with him. Um, You know, they're trying to adjust that offense to make life as simple as possible for Trubisky – and it's not having that effect. If anything, it's having the opposite effect, and it's making everything else worse along with them. Um, and then the Lions, you know, as you said, they, they did get screwed against the Packers. I think they're a reasonable team, um, but they may just be one that ends up coming out on the wrong side of too many kind of close appearances or, or you know, too many games against good teams. Okay, Sam, last thing for you. Thursday night, Washington, Minnesota. Uh, I think that the Vikings will be favored by a little bit here, but... Trap game? Am I right? A little Trappy McTrapperson action here? Uh, are those real? Is there any statistical analysis that would point us toward trap games being a real thing? I actually haven't checked to see if we if there is anything to that idea of trap games. Well, you're um, welcome. Get on it. Put Eric Eager on. Thanks. It. Yeah. Yeah, no, if you could... Ideally, when we do these, if you could find the most obscure thing to put me <laughs> on the spot about it, that would be perfect. Um... <laughs> Yeah, I haven't checked into that. You know, I, I think there are definitely games we can all point to anecdotally that, that felt like trap games and it came true, but that's the way the human mind works, right? We're, we're hardwired to find patterns in noise, whether it's there or not. Um, but ultimately, you know, these are teams that the Vikings need to be putting away if they have any designs on winning football in January. Um, the Redskins are not good right now. They have a couple of good players. They can do some big things here and there, but if you can't roll against Washington, you have no business making the playoffs. Right. Well, how about uh, Jeff George's big-time throw percentage when he played for Washington in, like, 1995 or something? When was that? Yeah, there's no way Jeff George had any big-time throws playing for Washington. No. What a what, Oh, man, what a great quarterback history. Like, if you were ranking uh, hilarious quarterback history, Washington has to be number one, right? Or maybe Chicago? Well, Jeff George came up the other day in a kind of random, obscure trivia event, right? Luke Falk getting cut was the first quarterback since Jeff George to get cut the week after starting a game. <laughs> Jeff George. Oh, man, that's great. All right. Uh, well, his his time in Minnesota, my favorite part about his time in Minnesota is every time the Randy Moss highlights come up, you know, whatever, if it's his birthday or whatever, it'll pop up on somebody's Twitter. They've got eight minutes of Randy Moss highlights, and you're going through it, and you're like, 
oh my gosh, Jeff George could throw a football. Like, those two were made for each other, except for, well, maybe even with the personalities, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, that guy's arm talent was unquestioned. It's everything else talent that was his problem. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, Sam Monson, always great to catch up with you, man. Thanks for coming on. Anytime. Take it easy, guys. Thanks, Sam. Yep. Follow him at uh, PFF underscore Sam on Twitter. Uh, always one of my favorite guests and good stuff there on Adrian Peterson. And that is definitely part of it for me as an analytics liker uh, is the fact that when you really try to isolate Adrian Peterson's value to his team, the 2000 yard season is really something the rest. There are a lot of years where the highlight reel is amazing, but the actual value compared to more versatile backs as the league is going to, you know, being more pass heavy, uh, is pretty questionable. You know, the Vikings went 10-6 and six the year that he ran for 2,097 yep. yards with Christian Ponder at quarterback. I would never I don't question be- the value of that season. I don't believe Ponder th- completed a pass <laughs> over 20 yards that season. It was all Adrian Peterson, and every defense geared up to stop him, yes. and he still ran through yes. him. So, yes, that was all Adrian. And you would have thought it would have helped more quarterbacks, but there's a lot of seasons here. I mean, his rookie season, he averages 5.6 yards carry. That's unbelievable. And he had 296 in one game, too. It- also unbelievable. And then there's four years straight of four and a half, four point six, four point seven, which is good, but it doesn't I mean, it doesn't move the needle a ton in terms of what your win probability increases by. And there's also the idea of somebody who's getting caught in the backfield three times and then has a seventy yard run and that sort of evens out to their yards per carry is probably not as valuable, even though you have the explosive plays, as someone like Delvin Cook, who always falls forward and gets like three yards. I mean, Cook can have a 75-yard touchdown, but it's not every single week like it was with Adrian Peterson. It just, when you're trying to really pluck through that and figure out, okay, how much was this really worth? And then you have years where he's getting five yards a catch. A catch, not a run, a catch. These are just like negative plays throwing him the football. And when you're trying to like look at how much value he was actually worth, I think it's hard to do. Um, it, it's not to say that he was worthless. No, no, but, God, no. But he was on. But he wasn't on the field on third down, as Sam pointed out too. And and his his penchant for putting the ball on the turf. Uh, you know, I know I keep pounding that rock, but I mean, he couldn't hold on to it in key situations. Yeah, and. and People have, you know, he's got to own that. So I'll I'll just give you an example of what I mean here is like there's a statistic by pro football reference that's sort of like wins above replacement. Um, It's called approximate value where it attempts to isolate your specific contributions to your team. And historically, um, Adrian Peterson is tied for 232nd all time, all time, all time. You know who he's Among tied? offensive players or de- this is defensive as ev- well? Everybody. Okay. Which, you know, I mean, look, if you're the 232nd best player ever, then you've done pretty well for yourself. Uh, but I think people would expect him to be much higher than that. That's kind of in the ballpark of someone like Jason Witten on this list. Somebody like, I mean, Calias Campbell, who's the pass rusher, is already tied with him. Where's Randy Moss? That's a good question. Uh, let's see. Because I think Randy is sort of the, uh, you know... you 37th. Okay. Because you're breaking out you're, yeah. two different eras. Yes. When Moss left, you know, there was a few years in between, but uh, Peterson became the focal point. And, and Moss's, his range is 
your Terrell Owens, your Marshall Falk, Joe Montana, Marvin Harrison, Ronnie Lott. I mean, he is in the rarest of air by this metric. And at the very top of the list, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Brett Favre, Jerry Rice. This sounds about right. Um, Reggie White, Bruce Smith, Ray Lewis, Dan Marino. That's your top 10. So, I mean... It's not a perfect stat. No stat is, but that's the way that I would demonstrate. Like, yeah, he's in. He's in a good ballpark of a lot of really good players. Somebody like Tony Romo is about the same in terms of your value, which is a good player, but not what you would expect when you say Adrian Peterson. Well, and plus, and he's, as he's bleeding out these uh, these last couple of years, that's probably Washington, not helping. It's not yeah. helping. At all. No, not at all. All right, let's take a break. Let's come back. Uh, Adam Thielen's not playing. Anybody want to talk about that? We'll do that when we return here on Purple Daily. Jonathan here with this hour's Score North download, brought to you by the 2020 Choice Bank Minnesota Golf Show. We'll use this download to remind you about all the po- about our podcast network. It consists of more than a dozen shows, from the Score North Twin Show and Raised by Wolves to the Scoop with Doogie and Royce Unchained. You can find a full list of these Minnesota sports podcasts at scorenorth.com and the Score North mobile app, or search Score North, S-K-O-R North, anywhere you find your podcast. That's been your Score North download. Now back to the final segment of the day of Purple Daily. Thank you, Jonathan, Matthew Collar, Brian Murphy, who I appreciate coming in here, spending his time on a Wednesday. Oh, thanks for throwing me a bone. Um, okay, Brian, so Adam Thielen's out, which means panic, and Washington wins by 20, right? Oh, come on. That's right? the prudent decision. There's no way. You could told me Sunday night there's no way he was playing. Why? Yeah, I agree. It's a hamstring. These are the worst kinds of lingering uh, re-injuring, loitering, yep. nagging injuries. And, and for a speed player, absolutely not. Sit down, see you in 10 days. And I hope they learned from last year with Delvin Cook where they were like, oh, let's try him on a pitch count. Like, no, do not put a hamstring struggler out there on a pitch count and try to play him 20 snaps or something. And look how he's feeling, just going to re-aggravate. How did he, you know, it's kind of bizarre. Like, did I he can't ever explain, how did he... Diving in the back of the end zone, sliding into the wall. It must have actually been the jump. Like, as he jumped okay. and sort of planted his foot, he probably just extended just it a little bit give. or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah just because did, I think mm. we all assumed it was when he slid into that wall. But then when you look at a different angle... He slid he in head first. I don't know how that would yeah. have happened. And he doesn't really hit the wall hard. And so, it's padded. Right. Unlike our friend Gus Frat, who slammed <laughs> his head hard into a wall once and gave himself a concussion... Um, sorry, Gus. He was on the show earlier. He was great. He's a great guy. But that was a bad moment. Um, so it wasn't like that. He didn't hit the wall and hurt himself. It was just, I think, on the dive as he was really reaching for his full maximum speed to make that play. That's probably when it happened. And you're right about at that moment, you're like, don't play Thursday. This team is not going to give you any trouble or my gosh, it shouldn't. And if it does, then you're in trouble anyway. And also, B.C. Johnson, man. Like, all of a sudden, B.C. Johnson could play. Isn't it remarkable how often this team comes up with guys where you're like, oh, man, they're in trouble, and then somebody steps up and is good at football? Aren't you finally waiting for this to be Latrell uh, Sprewell, Jesus? Latrell Sprewell, Jesus. I cannot Jesus. believe what I, I just said. It. Um, I'm, I'm, why am I drawing a blank? I'm, I'm blanking on the the... the, the the clown that they drafted and then they cut. Oh, Laquan Trevor. Of course. <laughs> what a, I, I don't know where I'm LT? going with that. LT. LT. Okay, fine. Good thing we're at the end of the fine. show. Fine. Never mind. <laughs> Never mind this because whatever take I was going to have has just been gutted by this <laughs> stumbling into it. So. Um, <laughs> Let's Sprewell. What a hero to the uh, oh my God. late 90s, early 2000s hip-hop community, Latrell Sprewell. 
Uh, that's a reference you're not going to get. But um, you're he, right. He had to feed his family. I do remember when, that. When you think about last year and how the number three receiver was Latrell Sprewell, <laughs> and uh, the fact that like he can't really play at all, and they're running him out there, throwing him footballs in key situations. There's a fourth down where Kirk Cousins targets him. And you're like, nobody thought to get another receiver? And John Filippo, nobody thought to put this guy on the bench? And they bring in Aldrick Robinson, and he did his best for a guy who's just showing up midway through the season. But I think that's the, the story here with this year, is just how much it has changed the supporting cast and sort of subtly in a way it's a seventh round receiver it's a second round tight end it's a first round center who's now playing up to his potential finally and it's like this is the reason Kirk Cousins is playing better you get the right scheme with players and yourself actually has some depth then all of a sudden it's easier for him to succeed hey and you can find Kyle Rudolph and throw him a pass <laughs> or two too right and Irv Smith he loves blocking man. he didn't even want to catch that oh, ball yeah. they threw him the ball and he almost knocked it down and said I'm a blocker <laughs> I'll let that quote go at some point. Anyway, well, good stuff aside from what just yeah, happened. Yeah, boy, that was Brian. just a just a bad way to end, huh? If you hadn't said Latrell Sprewell, it would have been perfect because we could have been like, oh, it's easy to forget that Laquan Treadwell exists because he's on the team still. No, but I referenced a guy that hasn't played in the league in 15 years. And then like semi-swore. Yeah. Uh, all right, Mackie and Jed with Rami coming up next. We'll do this again soon, Brian. Thanks right, for thanks. coming in, buddy. Yeah, appreciate it. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples, there are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone.